We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Hi, this is Jethro Jones from Transformative Principle. I'm excited to share the podcast with you today, but before I get to the actual podcast, I want to just invite you to take the 2018 Fall Listener Survey. Fall because it's fall, not quite winter yet, although up here in Alaska, it does feel like winter. I've been riding my bike to work, and it's been about zero degrees to 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's been pretty chilly. But I got some goggles the other day, and that's making it much better. So the survey is at transformativeprincipal.org slash survey. And if you go there, you can take it in the embedded or you can take the link. Either one of those works. But I'd really love to hear your feedback on what you think needs to be in the Transformative Principal podcast. I've done the survey a few times over the years, and I love getting feedback from you. And I just love doing the podcast, so I hope that you enjoy it as well. And if you're listening right now, you probably do. So if you'll go to transformativeprincipal.org slash survey, 
that would be wonderful. And I would really appreciate it. There are a couple of questions that I think are really interesting. So I sent this out to my email list already, and I got back some really interesting responses. The first one is, what is it that people want to learn about? And nearly everybody said that they want to learn about changing school processes. Like, how do I change my school? That's really important. And next week for this podcast, I'm going to talk about how I changed my school that I'm currently at and some of the things that we're working on there. So I think that podcast next week will be really great. The second question that I'm really curious about is the who should I interview question. Now, if you are listening to this and you've enjoyed who I've been talking to, then you probably know of a principal or other leader out there that I should definitely talk to. So put that person's name and hopefully email address or some other way to contact them in that survey, and I will definitely reach out to them. I've already reached out to a few, and I've got some great people on the docket coming up. So go to transformativeprincipal.org slash survey to take the listener survey for a Transformative Principal podcast. And I thank you so much for that. Now, today, what I did is I was able to be a guest host on Danny Bauer's school leadership series, which if you're not listening to that, you should. If you have an Amazon Alexa device, you can add that as part of your morning briefing. It's called School Leadership Series. And Danny Bauer is usually the host of that, but he was kind enough to let me be a guest host for a while. And so I did that for a week. And I wanted to put those in here so that you could hear them as well. And if you like those, then you will like the School Leadership Series, which is a short podcast. I did a whole week and I just compiled them all here together. So I hope you enjoy them. And thanks again so much for listening to Transformative Principle. Here are the cuts from Danny Bauer's podcast, School Leadership Series. Risk-taking versus research-based. I find it ironic that many edu-thinkers in the same breath ask the educators be risk-takers and do research-based practices. These two things seem like opposite ends of the spectrum. I asked my followers on Twitter their thoughts on this, and some amazing people I respect really helped me understand that we aren't really asking educators to be risk-takers. We're asking them to step out of their comfort zone or try something new, but base it in research. That's all well and good, but I'm actually asking educators to be risk-takers. I'm asking educators to do things that are not research-based because our dependence on research is a little out of control right now. And as we'll discuss this week, there are many things you can do in your school that nobody has really done research on. Andrew Chillup said after I posted that question on Twitter, I totally disagree. No other industry makes decisions without assessing risk. Data makes it so you aren't just throwing darts. I'd actually argue that data is needed to make sure that the risks we take have a better chance of succeeding. That's a great point. And if we have data about already, then we're not really taking a risk. If you have data that says that if you do this thing, you'll get this result, that's not really taking a risk. You might be stepping out of your comfort zone, but you're really just replicating something you know already works. Melissa Emler said, I love to encourage risk-taking and seeing what happens. When something is working, I look for research to support and validate. Risks come before the research and risks are personal. What is risky for some is not for others. Research is usually based on a small sample too. Risks are personal, according to Melissa. So maybe if we go with that approach, 
that risk is all about yourself, then there's a lot more room for risk in education. I just wouldn't call it risk-taking. I'd call it stepping out of your comfort zone. I think that would actually help teachers do it more because risk implies there's a chance that it won't work. The Apple Newton was a good example of risk. It didn't work. The iPod was a good example of risk. It did work. Both were risks. One risk paid off at a tremendous scale. The other risk was a failed creation. The other aspect here is that if you don't know the research, then are you taking a risk? Are you only taking risks on things that haven't been researched? Let's wrap this idea up. Is more of a buzzword than something most educators want. Let's stop calling it risk-taking and be more honest that we want educators to step out of their comfort zone and do things that actually aren't risky, but are research-based and will work. The rest of this week, I'm going to be talking about ways that we can make the school experience better for our teachers, parents, and students. And I'm going to be inviting you to step out of your comfort zone and do things that actually work. So stay tuned to the School Leadership Series this week for more information about that. Yesterday on the School Leadership Series, we talked about taking risks versus stepping out of your comfort zone. Today, I'd like to focus on helping teachers feel like they can step out of their comfort zone. If you look back on your life as an educator, you learn things in steps and degrees. It didn't come all at once. Let me give an example. My first year teaching, I was all about assignments. That's what went in the grade book. Now, I don't care about assignments, but I care about what kids learn. I'd prefer to not have any assignments in the grade book at all. I'm in the process of designing a new school where it looks like there won't even be assignments. How exciting is that? It's been a few years, but my learning progression took time to get to this point. After my first year teaching, something didn't feel right, and I had the great opportunity to learn about standards-based grading and quickly adjusted my gradebook to reflect learning more than assignment compliance. The progression continued as I learned more and eventually ended up in a system where it was completely standards-based and there were not any A through F grades. It was glorious because the grades actually reflected learning. It took me time to get there. How patient is your school with the pace at which teachers learn new things? How quickly can you adapt to make sure that teachers are learning what they need to learn in order to improve their craft? Here are three tips for making it safe for teachers to step out of their comfort zones. Number one, acknowledge effort. Even if a teacher is not taking big steps out of their comfort zone, try to find little ways they are and recognize that effort. You don't even need to praise it. Sometimes you just need to say, I noticed you did something different. Tell me about that. Tip number two, give resources. When teachers start moving in a direction, send lots of information regarding it. For example, my math teachers recently expressed an interest in standards-based grading, and I quickly connected them with other teachers who were trying to do it on their own. I sent documents and other resources to help them figure it out. I didn't attach a deadline or anything, just supported them in finding the information to help them make those choices. Number three, peer observations. Set up a system in your school where teachers can learn from each other in non-threatening ways. At my school, we call it the Curious Colleague Challenge. We challenge each staff member to be curious about what their peers are doing. They go into other teachers' classrooms to learn about something they're doing. Then they scan a QR code to track the time they spent learning from someone else. The point is not feedback to the teacher they are observing, but self-reflection for the teacher who is going to observe and learn from someone else. These are just three ways that you can help your teacher step out of their comfort zone. Number one, acknowledge effort. Number two, give resources. Number three, peer observations. This will help teachers step out of their comfort zone 
and do things that actually work and help them be better teachers, no matter how good they are already. Hi, this is Jethro Jones from Transformative Principal, and I'm excited that Danny's invited me to be part of the School Leadership Series. This week on the School Leadership Series, we have talked about taking risks or stepping out of your comfort zone and how to help teachers do that. Today, we're going to talk about parents. In education, we often hear from parents, board members, politicians, and others who think that without us, these kids and families would not know what to do. I call this the savior complex. One time, I had a teacher talk to me about students with disabilities, and she basically said that students with disabilities only get help or have structure at school, that their parents don't have an idea of how to help them. She didn't realize that my daughter has Down syndrome, and she was lumping my daughter in with this group of kids that would be totally lost if not for her and other educators like her. That really rubbed me the wrong way. In another instance, I've talked about home visits on my podcast, Transformative Principle, and in other places. And people have said, oh, you want to go visit their home so you can see how awful their life is and have more empathy? No. I want to visit their home so they know that we care enough to leave our ivory tower of school and go to them and tell them that we care. The savior complex is real in education. We often think that without us, these families would have no idea what to do. But I have three steps to overcome the savior complex. Number one, don't judge parents. Just stop it. Seriously. Whenever you are tempted to judge that a parent isn't doing what you think they should be doing for their kid or they're not engaged, just stop. You don't know the whole story. Number two, have positive intentions. A long time ago, I interviewed Melinda Miller for my podcast. She said, assume the best. Don't make up their story for them. Learn from them and ask them what they are doing. Don't just assume that we know what's going on in their lives because we don't. Assume that they're doing their best. That's your best bet. Number three, recognize the good that people are doing as the best they can. I've kind of already mentioned this. That's like assuming the best intention, but then you have to recognize it. That's what's important. The number of parents who are actively hurting their kids is remarkably small. Are parents struggling because they don't have the skills, abilities, times, resources, etc., to be better? Yes, I am. And I'm a well-educated, successful white dude, and I still struggle to be as good a dad as I can be. That's just the truth. Our parents are awesome, and they're doing the best they can. Expectations and mindsets are powerful, and if we believe parents are doing the best they can, we will see evidence of that. Let's make sure that the self-fulfilling prophecy and storyline that we have is that parents are amazing and doing great things. This is a tough issue to tackle because many times teachers and educators don't even realize that they're judging parents and thinking they need to be their saviors. They think they're helping or being courageous, but all they're doing is distancing themselves from the very people with whom they should be partners. And maybe partners isn't even the right word. Perhaps the correct word is supporters. In our current educational climate, there is more and more choice for parents on where and how their children are educated. Ultimately, it's the responsibility of the parent to educate their child, and we are simply supporters of that goal as educators. It is a much different process to have someone be in charge and we act in a supportive role than to be the person calling all the shots, which I think is what we tend to do in education. For example, I had a parent come tell me she was going to homeschool her daughter because she would miss a week of school per month. 
She appeared guilty about this decision and said she was worried I would be upset with her. I told her she didn't need to worry about it, and that my job was to support her in educating her child. I invited her to come by any time and ask for whatever help she needed. She was blown away. She couldn't believe that I had that approach with her, but she was very grateful. In review, here are three tips to overcome the savior complex. Don't judge parents. Have positive intention and recognize the good that people are doing the best they can. Thanks so much for listening to School Leadership Series today. I am Jethro Jones, host of Transformative Principle, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. What a great week we've had on the School Leadership Series. My name is Jethro Jones, host of Transformative Principle, and thank you, Danny, for allowing me to take over the School Leadership Series this week. First on Monday, we talked about taking risks. Then we talked about helping teachers step out of their comfort zone. Then we talked about overcoming the savior complex with parents. And yesterday, we talked about trusting students. Today, we're going to talk about getting out of kids' way. If you've enjoyed the School Leadership Series this week, you're going to love my new book coming out in just a couple months. Go to transformativeprincipal.org book to get on the early notification list, and you just might get some sweet early launch bonuses. That's transformativeprincipal.org book. As educators, we often feel that we know what the right things to do are. The reality is that the world is changing and we need to do things a bit differently. Most teachers were educated in a traditional system and it's very hard for us to overcome those ingrained practices. Mark Barnes suggests that it's actually easier to give kids voice at a younger age before their creativity is squandered and they just want to please the teacher. Kids are less afraid to take risks. One of the things that helps kids to not be afraid to make mistakes is modeling of that by us as teachers. We have to not be afraid to make mistakes no matter what. When I was a teacher, we had a school where most teachers respect and have concern for others. One year, we filled out a rubric to see if kids qualified for foreign language in eighth grade. My big problem with the rubric was that it tended to put all the good kids in foreign language and that all the bad kids ended up in reading. That is not a good combination. I raised a question about it and took a risk. And all those who I asked seemed to say, well, we know more about the situation than you, so stop making waves. They were still supportive after I persisted in expressing my concerns. It led to some quick changes to the rubric, and they were able to change things to be better. I suggest that we have an application for students to fill out that would help them decide if foreign languages were right for them. I was glad that these teachers and counselors were willing to work together to come up with something that was hopefully better and got us out of the kids' way. Rather than sorting and filtering kids, we allowed students to decide what they were interested in and then gave them the tools and things they needed to be successful. On the top of the form, it said, learning a new language is difficult, challenging, and a fun experience. Foreign languages at our school is considered an honors class. To enroll in a foreign language, you need to understand that it will be a huge commitment. You must complete daily homework assignments and practice constantly. At our school, we don't want you to just get a grade. We want you to actually speak your language. This application will help you decide if a foreign language class is right for you. We then listed some of the things they needed to know, and we gave them the opportunity to apply. That made our sorting process much easier because then we looked at the applications and saw who we knew would be successful and who would struggle, and then we were able to have the conversation about that with them. What we learned through this process is that all the same kids were still recommended by their teachers, 
But the difference was that students who may have struggled in a foreign language class were now given a chance to go for it. Also, kids who realized they didn't want to learn a foreign language but would have been recommended had a choice to opt out of that experience. Fundamentally, I don't believe that we should hold kids back from doing something they want to do. Their desire to do the thing makes them so much more capable of accomplishing it successfully. As it relates to foreign language, there's a huge inequity throughout the country. Some districts have dual immersion opportunities, while others have no language opportunities until high school. And then it's very limited or only offered through an online course with little interaction with the language. What we need to be able to do in schools is get out of kids' way and let them be the ones in charge of and guiding their own education. This is not always easy to do, but it's possible and sometimes requires great flexibility and change for us as the adults. So my challenge to you today is, what can you do to get out of your student's way and not put a cap or a limit on what they're learning? Thanks so much again for listening to School Leadership Series this week. My name is Jethro Jones, host of Transformative Principal Podcast. I hope you'll join me there to hear from the amazing educators who are transforming education every day. Welcome to the School Leadership Series. My name is Jethro Jones, host of Transformative Principal, and I'm so excited that Danny has given me the great opportunity to take over the School Leadership Series for him this week. This week, we've talked about taking risks versus being research-based how to help your teachers step out of their comfort zone, how to engage with parents and be supportive rather than commanding. I call that overcoming the savior complex. And today we're going to talk about trusting students. So what does it look like to trust students? With the rise of so many things happening that are scary in our world, school safety has become the number one issue. It has overcome our ability to trust students. Look at the policy manual for any school district and you will see that the policies contained therein are really designed to deal with the fewer than 5% of students who do something wrong. The reality is that we make draconian rules when the vast majority of students are doing exactly what they should be doing nearly all the time. It's a tragic statement that gives further credence to the idea that schools are more akin to prisons and thus fulfill the idea of a school-to-prison pipeline. What are some simple ways that you can start showing students that you trust them? Let's look at hall passes first. When students need to use hall passes, we are telling them they need to be accountable to where they are in the school, right? That seems pretty benign. What happens if you actually trust that students really are where they're supposed to be? You see, it takes a different perspective when you start with trust. A hall pass is a little thing to us adults, but a very big thing to students because ditching the hall pass as a school rule can have huge implications as it relates to the student experience. The same idea is expressed in bathroom breaks. Do you ask to use the bathroom when you're in a learning environment, or do you have enough respect for yourself to take care of business when you need to without having to ask permission of someone else? Whenever I sub or teach a class in my school, I tell students that they don't need to ask to use the restroom. In fact, I tell them that I don't even want to know they need to use the restroom. I want them to get up, leave, use the restroom, and come back. If they abuse that, then we have to talk about it, and I'd much rather talk about what we are learning then talk about the bathroom. Have you ever been in a lesson when the teacher is giving a long list of instructions and then she stops giving the instructions and the says, are there any questions? And students raise their hand and say, can I go to the bathroom? I hate that. <laughs> the response that I get from kids when I implement this practice 
never ceases to amaze me. They act like I had just given them the keys to the kingdom. They're always surprised and overjoyed that I trust them enough to go to the restroom by themselves without involving me in the process. You see, this really goes back to the idea of compliance being the main driver in our schools. We have to focus on learning as the main driver. What is the experience for students in our school? If it's about compliance, needing permission to use the bathroom, and rules that are designed to keep the worst behaviors out of our school, then that's what our focus is, even if it means that students in our schools are forced into a very uncomfortable situation. Many schools state that safety is our number one priority. While I appreciate that sentiment and I want to ensure that all kids are safe in schools, I do not believe that we have schools for the express purpose of keeping kids safe. We have schools to help students learn. I'm a big fan of The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. In that book, they start with a Russian or Chinese, depending on who you ask, proverb, which says, he who chases two rabbits catches none. When we focus on more than one priority, we accomplish nothing. If our priority in schools is safety, it's not learning. We can only have one. What priority do we have? I'd like to just leave with a quick story about how we improved attendance at my Title I school. We had 85% attendance. We tried everything to get students to come to school. We were doing great things academically, but we just couldn't reach the 15% of students who were not there. We threw parties, gave incentives, and promised big things to students with perfect attendance, and we couldn't find that any of those things actually worked. I really think that the final straw that made an impact and continues to make an impact was about trusting the students. In a Title I school, there are all kinds of excuses for why kids don't come to school, but there's only one that matters, that individual student's reason for not coming. Our school believed that every child mattered and that every child was important, but we didn't trust the kids to get themselves to school every day. To fix this problem, we did something crazy. We announced every day what the average attendance was for each grade. When a grade level got 95% attendance, They could cheer and yell and scream for five seconds. That's it. That was them expressing their voice. That was us trusting them to come to school. To get the full picture of this, you really need to watch my TEDx CSD teacher's talk entitled Simplicity. Seeing and hearing 600 kids scream when they got 95% attendance is a sight to behold, let me tell you. We asked students what could get them to have 95% daily attendance. They didn't even know what that meant. Then we asked them to invite their friends. We gave them a seat at the table and invited them to engage with their peers. Finally, we celebrated and let them reflect on what they learned, and we reminded them every day how they did. In just a few short days, attendance skyrocketed to 95%, and it stayed there until the end of the year and continued into the next and the next and the next. As long as the school kept announcing the daily attendance, even after I left, they were at 95% attendance or better. It doesn't always take a lot to inspire kids. Sometimes it is as simple as a little bit of trust. Thanks again for listening to School Leadership Series. I am Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals.
That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.